you. Let us pray together. O oh God, our deliverer, guide now the people of your church that following our Savior, we may walk through the wilderness of this world toward the glory of the world to come. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us affirm our faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence it shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
Please be seated. Let our children come forth for our children's time. How are you doing this morning? I want to show you something this morning, okay? I bet you know what it is. I'm going to give some out, and I want you to look at it really carefully. Pass it on to the next person and let them look at it really carefully. Now, I bet everybody can tell me what that is. What is that? It's a pine cone. And I'll have to show all of you the pine cone. Okay. That's an awful little pine cone, isn't it? Must come from an awful little tree, right? Because it's so small. Well, I want to tell you one time, years ago, I went to California, and I went to a place called Calaveras Big Tree. And Calaveras Big Tree is where they have giant redwood trees. In a minute, I'm going to show you a picture of one. But it's a national park, so you can't pick up pine cones there. But the, but the uh, forest rangers were there, and they were cleaning out from underneath the trees. So there were these huge pine cones and these little bitty pine cones, okay? So they said, you can have pine cones because we're cleaning out from underneath them. So I got the big, giant pine cones from the redwood trees. And the forest ranger said, no, 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 no. Those aren't from the redwood trees. These are from the redwood trees. These little tiny pine cones. Let me show you how big the redwood tree is. In National Geographic, they did a fold out. Get it out. Of the giant redwood trees. They're so big that if you and your whole class and probably everybody in your grade and their whole class held hands and tried to reach around the tree, it would be too big. They're so big that when a man stands at the bottom of it, he looks like a little ant. They've been there for thousands of years, and they grow in California, and they're called sequoia giant trees, called redwoods. Now, what has that got to do about what we're going to talk about this morning? Well, let me have one of your pine cones back. <clears throat> you know, when we first become a Christian, our faith is kind of like a little pine cone. It's kind of small. We know a little bit about God and a little bit about Christ, but not a whole lot. But we plant that seed and we grow, and we grow by going to Sunday school and vacation Bible school and reading the Bible and praying, and we grow and we grow and we grow, and we come big and strong in God's faith, like the pine trees become big and strong like giant sequoias. So we all start little. We all start as little people. We all start really little in our faith, but then we grow. This time of the year is when we talk about the most growth in our faith, because it's, it's getting to be the time when God not only has sent his son, but his son has been on the earth for a while and taught us a lot. And now his son is going to go to heaven with God. And he's going to sacrifice his life for all of us to be with God. So that as we grow in our faith, just like everybody, like your mom and dad and your grandparents have grown in their faith, we can become big and strong and giant sequoias in God's world, okay? Let us pray. Dear God... We know that we start knowing very little about you in our lives. But as we grow and as we learn and as we become strong Christians, we become strong in our faith and we grow in our faith. Let us all grow every day to become better and better and more knowledgeable of what you want for us in our lives. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.
Our first scripture lesson today comes from Isaiah 43, verses 19 through 21. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
Let us bow our heads in prayer. O oh God, in your mercy, hear the prayers of these thy people. O oh, blessed God, restore of our life and source of our well-being. We come now into your presence. We offer our praise, our thanksgiving. We come confessing our sins, asking for forgiveness, and seeking your help with our petitions. We are reminded that in your righteous laws the way of life, but our earthly path is filled with sin and failure. We have trusted in our own strength rather than lean upon your everlasting arms. We have counted our own abilities as worthy, yet we know that before you they are worthless. We come now standing in our own righteousness, not standing in our own righteousness, but rather trusting in the righteousness attained for us by the cross of Christ. And so we pray, O oh Lord, boldly in the Spirit, and we ask that you'd wash away our sin, anoint us with the oil of gladness that we may walk free as your children once more. We are reminded that we have received your commission and we are to press on toward the heavenly call. We pray that you would give us strength of your spirit, that we may press towards the goal of proclaiming the faith to all who are not yet redeemed by Christ and his power of the resurrection. Your Son has taught us that the poor will always be among us. Fill us with compassion for those who have not received and direct us to works of mercy. Take into your loving care those among us, especially those who have printed on our prayer bulletins and all others that are in our circle of concern who we pray for now in our hearts. We pray, O oh God, that all who struggle with the ravages of disease or injury, all who suffer in any way in body, mind, or spirit, we pray, O oh God, you surround them with your love, that those who are lonely, they would find comfort, those who are dying, that they would know peace, and all of us who mourn would find your hand in all things, even this. We pray, O oh God, that you continue your work, doing a new thing in the world and in our lives, and bless us by hearing our prayers and doing what's best in each situation and helping us to accept it. We offer these prayers, O oh God, in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, and who taught us to pray when we're together in one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We believe that giving is part of worship, so let us continue our worship with our giving. Let our ushers come forward.
Please be seated. Today is the fifth Sunday of Lent as we have journeyed with the Lord from Him presenting Himself at, for baptism in the start of His public ministry. Uh, we followed Him through the temptations in the desert places. And we've listened to Him teach us in parables. And so now we have Jesus and in Bethany, which is about a day's walk from Jerusalem and here is his next thing that he will do is go into Jerusalem uh, on what we call Palm Sunday. But this happened before that point. Give attention now to the reading of the Gospel of John 12, verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, with whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. And then Mary took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume and she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Now we know now that he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. But Jesus spoke up and said, Leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would guide us as we seek to understand and answer the question, are we saving our best? Amen. Now, one of the things that I have learned and I've always felt was true was that if all four gospel writers tell us something, it's important. It's, it's very important. If all four have a perspective and we can learn from their perspective. And this story is recorded in all four of the gospels. During the event, one thing is common, some rare and expensive perfume is poured on Jesus. In Mark, the perfume is poured onto Jesus' head. In John, it's recalled it being poured on his feet. In Luke, this happens uh, uh, by dinner sponsored by Simon the Pharisee, and the woman was not named in that scripture. In John, the woman's identified as Mary's sister, Martha and Lazarus. Regardless of the different perspectives that were remembered by the gospel writers, the act is seen as both impulsive and embarrassing to those around Jesus. But Jesus looks past this, and what Jesus sees is a heart full of thankfulness, a heart wanting to serve Jesus, a heart full of gratitude to Jesus. And in Matthew's account, Jesus even says, is recorded as saying, she has done a beautiful thing. And yet, there was some shock and amazement that day, and we cannot avoid that. Whether it is Simon the Pharisee, as Luke records, or whether it's Judas Iscariot, as John remembers, there was a certain disdain for this woman and her act, even though, as we see it, and as the Lord saw it, an act of great kindness. Even today, sometimes people will read this scripture and inquire of it and ask, uh, you know, that seems like a waste of money. <laughs> that seems like a waste of some good perfume. And when they say that, I want to say to them that, what are you saving your perfume for? Are you saving the best that you have? 
for someone else or something else? Are you giving your best to Jesus Christ? Is Christ and His holy church first in your life? Or is it second or third or fourth? And that's an important question that we need to answer as disciples of Christ. Back in those days of travel, mostly by foot, most of the time barefooted, sometimes with no more than some sandals that we would probably equate to flip-flops today, uh, walking in a dusty, dry, arid place that Israel is, for the most part, you would think that bathing Jesus' feet, or dusty head for that matter, in oil or even perfume, would have been an act of much kindness. And it was an act of much kindness to do that. But it was done, you see, usually by the host of the house. And so there is one of the conflicts with those people around him. But the other thing that I think is kind of interesting is that maybe some of you or some of those there that day might have argued that if the woman had just used some less expensive perfume, uh, maybe she used cachet instead of Elizabeth Taylor's diamonds, then it would have been all right. You know, I'm one of the first people to tell you that I'm a cheapskate most of the time. My dear wife loves cachet. She has ever since the 70s when she started using it, and I still think she smells really good when she has it on. But cachet today can be bought by the case in bulk at very cheap prices. I thank God every day that she hasn't decided she wants Elizabeth Taylor's diamonds. But the point is, who is deserving of this extravagance. If my wife said to Mara she wanted me to start buying her cases of diamonds, I would say to myself, thank you Lord for all those years I saved money, but I'll buy them because she deserves that extravagance for the way she's been a partner in ministry to me who thought and believed in me when no one else did. You see, this is the question. Who is more deserving of the extravagance that day than Jesus? No one. You see, what was really poured out was boundless gratitude without consideration of cost. Boundless gratitude lavishly poured out without consideration of cost. This is the mark of a disciple. And Jesus himself points out the difference between the true disciple and the bystander in Luke's passage when he says, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, yet you did not give me any water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. And I tell you, her sins have been forgiven. For she loved much. You see, the one who loves much, this one who loves much, her love, the object of her love, is the source of all love. Our Lord. Jesus Christ. And so the question, it seems to me, just kind of comes back into the text once more. Shouldn't we love the Lord much, much more than anything else? If this woman or any person desires to love the Lord, sacrificing everything that they have, should we not be anything but supportive? And yet, around Jesus' feet that day, were unsupporting people. In Luke, it was Simon the Pharisee who thought it was scandalous that a single woman would come and put herself in an intimate position like that at the Lord's feet, bathing them. We know the response of Judas Iscariot. I can imagine seeing several shaking their heads going, yes, at his comment. This response reminds us, I believe, that, that 
There are many whose actions we do not understand. Nevertheless, they are responding to Jesus' call on their life. And we, must not, and we must be careful not to be found rejecting, rejecting them or rejecting the purposes of God in our own manners and attitudes, you see. While I don't presume to know or to understand all the purposes of God, I understand that God's purpose is lived out in lots of things such as love and peace and forgiveness and reconciliation, unity in the Spirit, to name just a few. Unfortunately, this woman would not find those things, whether it was at Simon the Pharisee's home or whether it was at Lazarus' home. She would not find those things from those gathered there, those witnesses that spoke up, those that are remembered. She would only find it from the Redeemer. And that's an important thing for us to hear because people need communities of the redeemed. People need communities of forgiven and forgiving sinners. Thursday I was at a conference clergy meeting and we heard our speaker talk about the majority of people around our church are mostly too cautious to come in, inside. Now you can't really bl blame them too much. When they ride by the church, they can't see inside the windows. The doors are all shut. When the doors are open, there's two usually men standing there, you know, and that looks a little bit intimidating, ushers, to some people. Not knowing what goes on here, they're afraid to even walk through the door. It's important for us to understand this and to, to look and seek ways in which we can bring people into this community of redeemed so they will find the Redeemer. So they will find someone who appreciates their manners and customs even though they seem strange to us would appreciate that they want to come and show extravagant love to our Lord and Savior. I want to go back just for a minute on Judas Iscariot. Why was this not sold? Why was this money not put for better use? Most of the time we, we overlook that because we read back and we know that he was a crook, a thief, and he got what he deserved. But the thing is, this oftentimes shows up in the church. The church is often confronted with this same spirit of Judas Iscariot. How many times have you heard in a church meeting when someone was asking to start or to fund some new ministry or mission or project, and, we, and, and they say, oh, we just can't afford that. We just don't have the resources for that ministry, that project, that mission. We don't have the resources to do the right thing. And we shut our eyes then to the work that the church is about. And we, we shut our eyes to what Christ's intention is for us, our divinely appointed task. And that's sad and that's bad. And we need to repent of that. We need, we need to hear and see that there is nothing that can be more extravagant than what we do for Christ Jesus and His holy church. As long as the church is rooted in the Word of God and the truth of the Scripture and sacred tradition, and we sit at the foot of the Redeemer and listen by the power of the Holy Spirit, we must not try to squelch or stop what the Holy Spirit asks us to do by our worry that we won't have enough money. God will provide. God can raise up the very stones to be witnesses for Him. And we must not be found wanting because for some reason we don't have a connection anymore to the saints that's gone before us 
that somehow or another we can't see the richness of the liturgy or the hymns or the sanctuary or the worship and prayer and communion and the practices of the church. We think sometimes people think they're silly and when they do that and they think they know best, they are in the spirit of Judas. You see, even Jesus thought otherwise. He made it clear, the poor you always have, but you don't always have me. In other words, when the creator of all things is present, nothing can be too extravagant. It's easy, I believe, in our time to forget the wonder of Christ's gracious gift to the world of the church. It's easy to take God's gift of the word casually, and to take it for granted. It's easy to forget the importance of worship and the sacraments. Let me leave you with these three things. We celebrate this fifth Lenten Sunday and the hope that we have. First, because what Jesus says in the Matthew passage. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached, what this, what she has done will be told in memory of her. My friends, that prophecy came true in your hearing today and has been fulfilled every time this scripture has ever been preached. Second, every time a godly woman steps up and commits all to the cause of Christ, extravagantly pouring out everything she has. Jesus' words, she has done a beautiful thing, rings true. And we, especially us men, need to be supportive. Third, I think that it gives me new hope to hear the remembering and the retelling of this gratitude. Not only this extravagant gratitude this woman poured out for our Lord, right prior to when he's going to be crucified, but the remembering and retelling of Jesus' gracious reaction. His reaction to this gratitude gives me hope. It gives me hope because I too have done impulsive and maybe embarrassing things along my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you have too. But you know, and I know, that what I was doing was the only way I knew how to show our Lord gratitude. And so I pray that this woman's gratitude will affect you so that you'll act in ways of gratitude. But more importantly, I pray that you'll understand how gracious this one who deserves all our gratitude is to us. How gracious. Even now, in this time in which we live, in which there's such falling away of the faith, this time in which we live when there's so many things that occur that you read every day in the paper and you know it's evil personified. This Lord is still gracious to us. Still gracious. And so I was reminded of an old hymn that has these words. What can I give him poor as I am? If I were a shepherd, I'd bring a lamb. If I was a wise man, I'd do my part. What can I give? I can give him my heart. I pray on this fifth Lenten Sunday as we approach Holy Week that you would take this time and the week of Holy Week and once more renew your commitment to Christ. Renew your commitment to Christ. Renew it in your heart. Renew it in your heart. And show extravagant love to Christ by supporting in extravagant ways Christ and His Holy Church.
in the ministry of this church and all the forms that it takes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. the blessings of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Almighty and Eternal Triune God, one God now and forevermore, bless you and keep you and preserve you this day and each day. Amen. Amen.